podcast. So I don't know how to do intros. It's always very awkward. That's why usually <laughs> them Nick or Pevy start things off because it's it's not a fun time. It's very awkward, you know. Hello, uh, yeah. So uh, Nick's not here. Pevy's not here. Um, and as we promised about a month ago, I think uh, Tyler would be back to do um, the Shazam review. So Shazam came out, you know, after a lot of anticipation and waiting and huge fan demand, you know, um, it finally arrived. Yeah, made $65 million worldwide at the box office in its opening weekend. Like more than me. It's more than than most of us, but, you know. It's not great. It's it's not great, is it? No. Considering when Warner Brothers are trying to make money and, you know, at least last year, the the success of the films was dictating the marketing budget that went on these the, the films are released this year like magic mike for example that's a that's an easy win for them that movie doesn't need to be good but like the past movies made over 100 million each and like they didn't promote it and they didn't put it in a theaters and only made like 56 million shazam there was real lack of marketing up until a couple of weeks before the film dropped and again not a lot of anticipation and hype for it like even when they started shoving wonder woman in the trailers you know um and, and the tv spots but yeah you know it looks like all the bets are on the flash at this point for, for warner brothers and dc um that's gonna easily be their biggest release of the year so they hope that doesn't flop you know they have to because they, yeah black adam costs, have to. black adam costs the money shazam's gonna cost them money uh yeah, Snugger Magic Mike probably did cost them a little bit. Um, well, I yeah. can't see a world where Blue Beetle makes money. No. Um, and then I've just been hearing a lot of word. I don't know if it's rumor, so take that for what it is. But Aquaman 2, not super great. The first yeah, one did really well, but it's like, yeah. <laughs> is that reliable? I don't know. I don't think Aquaman 2 is going to do very well. I don't think it's going to do as badly as Shazam and Black Adam and those sorts of movies. But I don't see it reaching anywhere close to the heights of the first movie you know um it's very rare these days that a film hits over a billion dollars you know i think last year we had avatar top and uh, top gun and is that it were those the only two last year the year before was just spider-man like whereas in the in the years jurassic hit i don't oh yeah jurassic did yeah jurassic just crossed it so that's the thing so in the years of like 2018 a lot of films are crossing a billion dollars and Aquaman was one of them. I don't think it has that power this time around, um, especially with, with word of mouth. Um, if it is true that, you know, the test screenings were very bad, um, then yeah, it doesn't sound like a chance, but that's the thing. Like, you know, uh, the DC universe has changed, you know, um, it's, it's going through a, a restructure soft the reboot has changed yeah well thank you james gunn he's taken over hopefully we'll see the fruits of his labor like pretty soon but um you know before we kick into shazam um the rock uh more stuff come out about the rock and, Sh- and his influence on the shazam sequel um we, we all know that the rock is very egotistic and re- really wanted to you know fight superman as black adam like that was his whole thing for like a solid year that he was kind of pushing that narrative and hyping up that that's what people wanted 
Yeah, he wanted, like, you know, from all the reports, it seems like he kind of wanted the DC Universe to center around him and Superman and, um, you know, okay. Like, I, but I was trying to, I was trying to cut all ties from, like, Shazam, which is where his character's from. Like, that's Shazam's villain. Like, they literally have the same, like, suit and iconography. They have the same powers. They were given the same powers by the wizard. Like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. That he was like, no, I'm like, I'm Black Adam. I'm a bigger name than than Shazam. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, he's, oh, I don't know. I, I don't like The Rock anymore, man. I used to like not like him as a meme because of like what he did to the family. He turned his back on the family. Mm. But uh, Brutal. the more you, the more you hear and the more you learn about this this guy, you know, he was just kind of what I always suspected he was, you know, I've, which was an egomaniac. I've never been a big Rock guy. Um, he always, as you would say, is a bit of a knob to me. Um, I, I don't know. I just like he's always doing this persona. It's like annoying. But um, I don't know. He does have a lot of sway and a lot of power. But I just feel like he's like way overstepping and like kind of um, up his own art. Well, up his own rear end a little bit um, mm -hmm. in regards to all this. Because it's just like taking a no-name character nobody cares about. Trying to put yourself above the character above the universe which is like very weird um and that, that's just never gonna work whether it's dc marvel star wars like that that's just not gonna fly you know you can't center it around you and when you obviously do that you're just gonna make a bunch of enemies and not a lot of friends and so they're already fighting uphill battle with the black adam name and then it's just like drama 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 so yeah so you know a new report came out that he we've heard before that he didn't want to he didn't want Black Adam tied to Shazam, which, again, he's supposed to be. Um, but, yeah, so going into, I think, the Black Adam movie, there was going to be a post-credit sequence where you see Hawkman from the Justice Society go to recruit Shazam. Um, the Rock was not happy about that. He did not allow that to happen. That scene, that post-credit scene, was then supposed to be in Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Um, I think the report said it was, it was happening until three days before the shoot began for Shazam and The Rock stepped in and was like nope this is not happening uh you know the Hawkman like scene is you're not allowed to do that I assume it's because he sees Hawkman and the Justice Society as integral parts of his movie which they were um and he doesn't want again Shazam that closely tied to him um when again like The Rock isn't the, the, the Rock the Black Adam isn't in the Justice Society you know like he's not gonna be rubbing shoulders with him um and again no, it just like seems like exercising control like where it just doesn't need to be because it's, yeah, it's like hawkman doesn't recruit him but i guess spoilers or whatever but who end up does recruiting who end up does recruiting him is james Gunn's wife james gunn's wife from <laughs> from uh, peacemaker and it's like she was literally like <laughs> a pretty big supporting character in your movie so i don't get how that like <laughs> fixes the problem that he was trying to solve i i just yeah well it doesn't solve any problem he just doesn't want like a key part key character from his movie doing it so instead we've got like the peacemaker team going to recruit Shazam in the in the sequel um it would make you know zachary levi the... seemed to confirm this sorry i didn't mean to go ahead so, I didn't cut you off zachary levi seemed to have confirmed this by sharing the story to his instagram and uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, the truth shall set you free. Um, 
probably you know confirming that yeah this is probably accurate and you know i throwing shade yeah like you know say we want about zachary levi like i'm not his biggest fan and uh i don't dislike him as much as i dislike the rock but um you know at the end of the day the universe is bigger than any of these uh actors and characters and that should have taken priority but once again the rock's ego you know it isn't hap- like isn't allowing that to happen there's it's no wonder there's not going to be a Hobbs and Saw sequel you know like I'm, <laughs> well, I'm glad it was just like a grandiose like rock family kind of like giant fest or whatever I don't I didn't see that movie I'm not as big into the family as you guys um but from what I could tell it's just me and Pevy you know it's just me and Pevy you guys are holding it down strong it's probably why you yeah, like Nick- the movie because they referenced it Nick, Nick, uh, Nick hates the movies. Nick hates all Other the movies than... that are good, aka Kenobi. That is true, yeah. But, uh, he can blame you for that one because he always complains when somebody brings up his dislike for Kenobi. So he can blame you for that one, you know? Well, when you like out yourself and make it so, like, such a big deal, you gotta, you gotta take some shots for that, you know? can't go mm-hmm. away unscathed but if i was zach levi dude i'd be pretty po'd just because like the rock's the newcomer and he's coming in trying to like control your movie and like say what happens and it's like who are you dude you're just some actor forget you like <laughs> back off this isn't this isn't your like you don't have the right this isn't your territory you don't have the you shouldn't have the sway to do all this so i don't know more no. drama i feel like they just should separate distance themselves in the future the DC brand from from The Rock, which I think is what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It also explains That's... why that post credit scene looked like it was shot about a week ago. Yeah, yeah, it's probably done pretty late in the process, and it's probably um, done pretty cheap. But again, I don't mind. Like, and again, I don't really know if this is going to have ramifications. Um, going into Shazam now, the uh, the movie has not done well financially. Um, I don't know how much the movie costs. I assume it costs around 100, 120 million. Um, I haven't looked so I haven't looked at the numbers on it, but it, it has only made sixty five million worldwide in its opening weekend, which is far below even the first exam, uh, which I think capped out around three hundred million. This is not gonna touch three hundred million, nowhere close. Um you know, which is dis- which is disappointing for DC, it's disappointing for Warner Brothers. Um and yeah, I you know that's not a surprise, and I don't think people liked it as much critically. I think the last time I saw it on Rotten Tomatoes at fifty eight percent. I think his, his cinema score was around like a C, maybe I can't remember what it was. Um, but so yeah, the the reception to this hasn't been very positive. Um, and yeah, the movie this is how like much faith Warner Bros have in it now. Following this opening weekend, it's going to be released like. To digital on april the 12th like mm-hmm. that is a quick turnaround you know like they have no faith that this is going to make money in in cinemas now um you know you know, if you look back at something like elvis which you know made around 280 million i believe mm-hmm. um warner brothers kept that in, in in theaters for three months full three months before putting it on digital and vod and then bringing it to streaming um you're gonna get Shazam on HBO Max by June, I'd say. It's gonna be a quick turnaround for that movie. Um, so if you aren't, you know, pushing and excited to go and see it, you're gonna long to wait just to watch it at home. Um, and that's probably how I recommend you see it. 
Um, just background on it. I'm not. I know a lot of people do like the first Shazam movie. But I'm not the biggest fan of it. I think it's fine. I think it's a solid, like, okay movie. Um, and going into this one, I had very low expectations. I don't think the trailers are very good. Um, I obviously don't love the first movie as much as a lot of other people. But um, so I went with low expectations and I came out thinking that was okay. That was fun. You know, I actually like it, I think. Maybe a little bit more than the first movie. Mm. I can't decide. Um, but I do think it's fine. I do think it's it's a decent little movie. Um, but again, nothing to be rushing out to see in the cinema. Um, what, what was your quick thoughts on it? I, uh, I was surprised because, like you, like the first one was like fine. It's like fun. It's whatever. Um, but I went into, like, I really didn't want to see this. <laughs> like, not at all. But I told you I would. So I was going to. I was gonna stick to that and i just was kind of dreading it um but i like had like a, a lot of fun with the movie i was really surprised like how much i enjoyed it um i was pretty like into it and the just like hooked the whole time um like it's not anything new or groundbreaking but i i felt like it was um a lot more well executed than I don't know, some recent comic book movies um and, and i just really enjoyed it i thought the writing wasn't like stellar but it was good and there was a lot of payoff and it was like for me, this was like way more satisfying than seeing like Ant Man, uh, Ant Man three the other week. Um, so mm. I, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. For me, it like sticks out in recent years, like as as one of my more more enjoyable viewings of like comic book movies. I wouldn't say it's the best, um, but like you said, it was it was just really fun, and lighthearted, and then some interesting mixture of like darker elements at certain times. Um, but I just had a really good time with it, and I was really surprised, and I walked away like just kind of feeling really positive and that that feeling hasn't hasn't dissipated uh, like in the week since i've seen it so i was surprised as anyone to have that reaction but i just thought it's a testament it's more the execution of it um than any of like specific characters or my interest in the world or whatever because to me this movie is like totally inconsequential like mm -hmm. well the post credit scene like makes that like really confusing what's going to happen going forward um, but the trailers look like the most bland, gobbledygook, you know, uninteresting and uninspired movie ever. And then I found the movie to have like quite a bit of heart. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun time in the theater. Probably better movies out there to see. Um, I don't think you'd be wasting your money to go see this at all. But you don't got to wait very long <laughs> for it to come out on streaming. So you're probably better off just holding off a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, one of the the strongest aspects of this movie, I think, was was the Shazamily. You know, you know, family is always a strong part of any movie of a good stellar franchise. Family has to be at the core. And um, you know, I did like the Shazam family in this one. I think uh, I think Freddy was a lot better in this than he, like I enjoyed Freddy in the first movie, but I think he was a lot better than this one. I liked I liked yeah. uh, how he kind of wanted to go for his own. He was having his own story, his little love story. Um. I like the dynamic there. I really liked. Uh, um, is her name Mary Bromfield? Is that her name in the movie? You know, uh, which lady? She's also in Red. You know. Oh, like Mary uh, Marvel. Yeah, I liked her very much. I thought she was good. I actually liked all the family. I liked all the family. I liked you know, Dala. I like. I liked. I liked a bunch of them. Eugene. So. They yeah, all had like um, clearly defined roles and like you had your main characters, but each of them like served a part and they did that mm. part well. Um, yeah, it wasn't like too many at, at the one time. So, yeah, 
agree with what you yeah, said I like that. as well. Yeah, I like that dynamic. I like again, I liked that the movie decided to focus on them as a unit, not just simply Billy mm. in this one. Um and yeah, like I, I like this the the plot point for Billy where he's coming up to eighteen, he's worried that he's gonna be left out in the cold, essentially. Like is mm. you know, his his foster family, they're no longer gonna start they're not going to get money for him staying at the house and you know he's worried about the future um which all you know like he's determined to do all the missions that they go on together with his with his siblings and you know they don't really necessarily want that they still want to go off and do their own thing they kind of you know like they think he's holding on too strong which you can understand given what he's thinking about mm. um what he thinks is coming which obviously we all know it's not going to happen we know they, they've painted a, a very clear picture of that family that they're 11 family and yeah you know they put their, their kids first so yeah um i did like the uh well, she's not really a villain but i did like anthea i did like rachel uh zegler's character mm -hmm. i thought she was easily the without question of a doubt the best out of the three sisters um i'll <laughs> You know, I like the wizard in this one. The wizard, you know, he's funny. You know, he's awesome. Yeah, he he has he has a great role in this movie. He has a lot more to do, and he really eats it up. <clears throat> I liked his dynamic with Freddy as well. Um, so yeah, all the family dynamic is is great. You know, the individual characters are great. Um, other than the villains, I think both of them, Hella Mirror's character and Lucy Liu's character, they're so boring. And uninspired, like I did not care about them. I did not care about the impact they were bringing on Philadelphia. I did not care. You know, I was just okay. Like yeah. wherever this is just a an obstacle the family and Billy has to overcome. Um, I don't feel like the movie always... tried to make you care very hard in, in the movies. Yeah, and you you always knew where it was going. Yeah, you were like, oh, okay, like. Anthea, she's gonna end up like turning against them and being a good guy because she clearly like is the moral compass of the three. She's clearly got feelings for Freddy. Mm -hmm. You know, she's she's gonna you know turn. She's gonna be a good guy. It was written on the wall from from the start, and that's a, that's the thing. <laughs> this film is very predictable from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and one of the, like when Helen Mirren like kind of died when she got stabbed by the dragon <laughs> i was like cool you know like i don't oh, really no. mind and then she came just came back big moment helped trap his sister in a bubble and i'm like yeah like i felt nothing for it i also don't like the final fight sequence where like shit they've shrunken the bubble down and it's just uh billy and lucy lou's character facing off i don't think it was very engaging i don't think it was very cinematic i don't think it was well done did you um, notice that it. sequence where like the dragon just I guess was shooting fire at the building the entire mm. time the family just has this little random meetup in the middle of the climax. I was like, that's very convenient. That's very Yeah. That's very nice. It was just it's all that like I lost interest about an hour and ten minutes in. Mm -hmm. You know? When when all the monsters started popping out of the ground and all that sort of thing. I started being like, okay, it's dragging a little bit. And again, the movie's not long, it's only like two hours long. Mm. So if your movie to meandered only two hours like that's a bit of a problem um for me at least you know with pacing um so yeah i wasn't a big fan of that 
Um, I did like you know going into that that uh, the location inside of that layer, which was very Harry Potter esque. Steve MVP, you know, I loved Steve that little Steve pen. Steve is MVP. You know, yeah, he was fantastic. Steve performance of the year. Um, <laughs> yeah, like there's stuff like that. But the biggest problem I have is the disconnect between uh, Zachary Levi's performance as Billy mm. and uh, Asher Angel's performance as Billy. Yeah. Again, as mentioned, Billy's pretty much 18 years old in this movie. And Zachary Levi, I don't know how old of a version of Billy he's supposed to be. You assume maybe 30s. I know Zachary Levi's in his 40s, but, you know, they're dying his hair and everything, so... <laughs> you know they wanted to look a bit younger than what he is. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So in that regard, I, I think there's a massive disconnect. Billy, when he's in his usual form, is his younger form. He's not as comedic. He's not as goofy. He's not as as gullible. He's not as silly. He's pretty grounded. Like he's a normal teenager. He's a bit angsty. You you know you can have a joke and a laugh and you get, you know everything. But when Zachary Levi takes over, he's an absolute goofball like he's a goon yeah like he is it does not feel like the same character whatsoever but that's and that sticks out like a sore thumb just because of the duality of the character but also the the rest of the shazamily they all feel the, like the the younger counterparts they're all in sync so yeah yeah so and again i don't necessarily blame zachary levi for this or asher angel for this i blame the director the director is supposed to make that connect happen and it is just not that. It is. It's. It now sticks out like a sore thumb. It didn't necessarily so much in the last movie because we knew he was having a lot of fun when he's being bigger Shazam. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's when he's in a Shazam form, he's having a lot of fun, and we see that in the last movie. And also, he's a lot younger in the last movie. Uh, he's like fifteen. Yeah. So this time around, he's like eighteen years old. The attitude on him has changed, the performance has changed, and Zachary Levi is just running around like he's in a different movie. I was say, to, to, like, Asher Angel's character. Asher Angel, like, adapted the performance and, like, it grew. Like, Levi, I didn't feel like, really did that. Um, I was thinking about it, I was trying to think, like, was that intentional? Because the other ones were, like, they were, like, so succinct. They obviously coordinated that really well. Um, like, I forget the name of the youngest daughter, but the actress who played her older version, like, she captured that Kind of like youthful silliness like really really Is well it Darla? yeah it's darla yeah that actress the older actress they both did fantastic um and they really very cohesive in their performances um so i wonder if like part of the emotional cell was to show like billy as himself as billy is just like struggling and really sad a lot of like maturity and like depth to asher's performance uh, well i guess in, in contrast to zachary levi's um but he's just zachary levi's just acting like like the kind of silly immature bimbo or himbo i guess you'd say um which is like consistent with the first one but it didn't really adapt or change to any of the newer circumstances so i i just was like is that supposed to be intentional but it was so weird because they just like kind of just sidelined asher angel a lot in this movie they just like basically wrote him out almost um so i I didn't i kind of felt bad for him i was like i don't know what happened but clearly they didn't want you in this one um so kind of sad there but um i think that the villains and the pacing like you said um probably the, the worst aspects of it like even though i enjoyed it a lot i think probably halfway through 
because you could see how things were setting up and how it was going to pay off and, and finish. I was like, oh, we're about to go into the third act. But I was like, that doesn't make any sense. We just started. At a couple of those moments where I was feeling like things are about to start to close, but it was still going on. Um, the character dynamics, I thought, really, really stood out. The wizard was so cool. Um, well, more than the first one. And then the ending part with him just made me laugh in his new little little getup. And I remember thinking, I was laughing because I was like, oh, he, he kind of looks like he's pimping. But I, I don't want to say that, but they said it for me. <laughs> so I was, I was happy there. Um, but I thought Freddy... Um, gave me almost like kind of like Dylan O'Brien vibes um, just with that quirky kind of I guess like little zany humor um, I was glad they leaned into that just because I, th I think that's really easy for audiences to uh, get behind and, and wrap themselves in and I found myself rooting for um, him and uh, Rachel Zegler's character I felt myself rooting for their romance which I thought was funny because usually I find children or teens portrayed kind of bizarre uh, in, in Hollywood films so um, the character aspects I, th I thought really stood out as a strong point. Um, there was some nice little like writing payoff, like beginning, Billy's calling uh, Rosa, uh, he just calls her by Rosa, but then at the end, once he realizes, um, you know, they're going to keep him, it'll be a family, he calls her mom. So there's some little fun payoffs there. I think my favorite part was probably um, Wonder Woman's appearance, not the last one at the end, but the first one um, in Billy's dream. And I thought they played that for laughs so well, kind of calling back to the, the Superman post-credit scene from Shazam 1. Um, and then when the wizard's face finally appears on <laughs> on that body, um, that I just thought that was really clever and really well done. Um, so aside from the pacing and the villains were just very bland, um, they didn't have a lot to do. And I don't really know if we're supposed to care about them so much. It reminded me of like kind of phase one, phase two MCU uh, type villain stuff. Um, but overall, besides that, like I, I really enjoyed just the character work and the, the execution of it. Like I said, the plot wasn't groundbreaking, but the way they, they did it, I thought was just more fun than, than what I've seen from, from recent films. Yeah, Wonder Woman showing up as well, I thought that was weird. Like, when she does actually show up, I didn't really understand why she needed to be in the scene for that moment. Um, she picks up the staff and like slams into the ground and brings Zachary Levi back to life. I'm like, is that a power she has? Like, how was she able to do this? I, think I don't it was really supposed know. Supposed to be like the staff had the power, and like she had the power. Yeah. So why did Wonder? She gave the staff. But doesn't the power. wizard? Doesn't the wizard like have the capabilities of doing this? Um, no, because he's not like a god. I think like he. Well, they said what he about... stole their power. Yeah. Yeah. Also. I'm well, not... no, he took it away from them, didn't he? I think. Yeah, that's why they're like going after him because they're all upset. Yeah. Spaghetti. It was just, it was just weird. If this is the last, and it probably is the last time we see Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, I think it's a disappointing end for the, her portrayal of that character. Kind of a funny way to go. Um, because Wonder Woman 1984 was really bad, but I do like her as Wonder Woman. I do think she is good as Wonder Woman. Um, you know, and that scene where like you see her, but you don't really. I got so annoyed when he oh. started doing that like, thing with the mint. I wanted to headbutt the seat in front of me. <laughs> I was just like, it, it angered me deeply to my core. I don't know why, but it did. Um, Triggered. Yeah. And, and you know, we talk about the how, uh, you know, how bland the villains are. Like, their performances are bland as well. And that's, you know, Helen Mirror is a fantastic actress. But it was Rachel Zalgler lately who uh, mentioned she only took the role for a for a paycheck. <laughs> so, Fair enough. I used to, 
I assume, and she was good, but I assume that Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu also did. Um, and that explains why their performances are so phoned in and just bland, you know? Well, I don't um, think Lucy Liu's like, I don't know. No, she's not a fantastic actress. Helen Mirren but like, is. You, yeah, but she, you know, it's a bit more with it. I just felt, when we were left with Lucy Liu's villain, I was just like, oh, this is so boring. You know, I was just so mentally checked out at that point. Anyway, given a score to it, uh, I'd give it a 6 out of 10, uh, which on my scale is okay. Um, uh, what would you give it out of 10? I'd give it like 6.5, 7 out of 10. Somewhere yeah. in there. Um, yeah. I've, I doubt we'll ever see Shazam, this version of Shazam again. I doubt we'll get a third Shazam movie. Like we shouldn't base off of the box office and whatever, but um, be the last time we talk about it probably will be the last time we talk about it. So then, moving on to Star Wars, uh, the Everything Everywhere All at Once directors, the Daniels, uh, they're doing an episode of Skeleton Crew, or they've done an episode of Skeleton Crew. Um, this came from One Take News, which was later confirmed by Hollywood Reporter and the Daniels themselves. One thing I'm kicking myself about is because I hear this in December from a singular source, and you know what I'm like. Everybody knows what I'm like. I need a bare minimum two sources on it. And uh, yeah, so I, I hear this a while ago and, you know, hadn't heard anything about it since. But I think they're a great addition, you know, for, for any TV show. Obviously, they're extremely talented. They just won seven Academy Awards for everything everywhere at once. Um, yeah, I think they're great. I think they're a great addition. Um, I th the, again, we only know two directors of Skeleton Crew in John Watts and the Daniels. Mm. But that's an exciting list. I got ex I'm more excited about the directors on that project than I am on like the Mandalorian when that list came out. Yeah. You know, and that's not a, a disservice to Bryce and Rick or whatnot, because they're fantastic directors. Uh Lee Isaac Chung as well. Rachel Morrison did a great job with episode two. Um they're not Academy Award, you know. It's no diss on them. Yeah. Yeah, they're not that, that, you know, when you see, like, when you look at the Mandalorian season one or two, you're like, oh, okay, you're bringing in Taika Waititi, like, John Favreau, uh, Peyton Reed, even, mm -hmm. you know, um, you, you know, there's a bit more of a extravagance there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Skeleton Crew has had a lot of problems behind the scenes in its production, and it doesn't sound great, and... You know, not the the series is great, but what the cast and uh, what the crew specifically had to go through um, on that. But you know, seeing the duo of the Daniels being attached to this is exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, part of me, I don't think this will happen, but now I would love it to happen. Is I would like to see Ki Hu Kwan in in this show. See short round, you know, short round. I would love him. <laughs> I would love That'd him be to be in this, you know. <laughs> Um, I doubt that'll happen, but I would love it, you know. Um, you never know. But yeah, what do you think about about the Daniels joining Skeleton Crew? Well, I think you gotta respect them, regardless of if you like everything, everywhere, all at once. Cause I mean, it's gotta be the first movie to win an Oscar featuring a butt plug. So props to that. Um, but second off, I for me that stood out is kind of what you mentioned, where um, obviously you've detailed the the various production troubles, and so has uh, Jason for making Star Wars. Um, so to me, this kind of gave me hope that um, even despite all the issues and whatnot, there was still some stability and 
uh, structure and things are able to um, come out on the positive side. Um, just because you, you hear like the crew had a horrible time and you, you don't immediately jump to, oh, this is going to be terrible. But you obviously feel bad and think everyone knows like when you're in a bad working environment, it's just harder to do, you know, a good job. Um, so for me, this gave me hope and I was excited just because it's, it's top quality talent. Um, I think it's kind of fitting and funny Lucasfilm, I guess, kind of figured out how to how to get their, I guess, hot new name directors involved in a project and not have them drop off. Um, so that's good to see. Uh, but it just gave me hope. I'm excited to find out more about, you know, the series and what it is and, um, you know, just beyond the basic premise, hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks here at Celebration. But to me, it's just a good sign. And the, the more talent you add, the, the better chance it has to be to, to really, you know, be a quality product. Um, I'm not sure like how well like their style will show through just because episode could be from anywhere from 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour long. But it's also like a lot of TV shows are dictated by the showrunner. Yeah. Like you know, showruns are the true directors yeah. on these shows. So at least we know they'll, they'll come in and execute that vision effectively. I mean, you would think, you'd assume. Um, so that's just what, it just gave me positive feeling, just mostly for the crew aspect, just to hope that they're able to kind of work through all that and still produce something that's going to be enjoyable mm -hmm. and new and fun and um, hopefully produce as minimal Star Wars bickering as possible. Yeah, um, going on to that then, Damon Lindelof. A year ago, or roughly a year ago, I think it was March last year, uh, Jeff Snyder via The Ankler reported that Damon Lindelof was working on a Star Wars movie. Over the summer and into the fall, we had the trades confirm the report, you know, said after the rise of Skywalker, but it's not tied to the Skywalker saga. Sequel trilogy characters could or could not show up, as, you know, they were very vague about it. Dave Filoni was involved in the writer's room of this project. Um, yeah, and the, they said that Lucasfilm was trying to learn from mistakes they made during the sequel trilogy and were taking the time and trying to make sure they get this right. Over the course of that year, Damon Lindelof's movie picked up massive momentum. It is the 2025 release, December 19th, 2025. It's the next Star Wars movie we'll see in, in theaters. Um, and yeah, funny enough, Jeff Snyder, the guy who first reported all this, reported that. Yeah, Damon Lindelof and his co-writer of the project, Justin Britt Gibson, they've exited. They left the project uh, in the middle of February after turning in a script. They left days later. Uh, Lucasfilm supposedly already have a writer. They are still aiming to release this movie in December 2025. Production is set to start in February uh, of next year. And the plan that they had and probably still is in place is that they will announce the title and the synopsis at Star Wars Celebration. And it's also worth mentioning that Shami Obeid Chinoy, who directed episodes of Miss Marvel, is still on board as the director. She was brought on as director, I believe, last summer, uh, as Damon Lindelof wanted to bring in a director early so they can help see the vision and have their own imprint on the script. Um, I'm very disappointed that Damon is no longer attached to this. Um, I thought he was probably the ideal person to start a new series of movies because that's what they were claiming that it's a standalone movie but if successful it'll lead to a series of movies it doesn't say a trilogy but it could be another movie it could be another three movies um so yeah i'm very disappointed i thought he would have been the the optimal choice to, to start this i think he's a talented writer i really like his work on lost the leftovers watchmen prometheus um 
so I'm very disappointed he's gone. I know a lot of, there's a lot of uproar about it yesterday. Um, this is the thing, we're doing this 24 hours after this news came out, so I've had a lot of time to think about it and to cool down, because when I first, like, Pevy broke it to me. I hadn't really been on my phone most of the day, and Pevy called me, and, uh, you know, I just thought he just wanted a general chat. I just thought he wanted to talk about football or, you know, TV shows, movies, whatever, you know? And he uh, it was like... So have you seen the news? And I was like, no, I have no idea what you're on. But he starts laughing and laughing to himself. He's so happy about what he's going to tell me. And oh, friend. he's like, he's like, Damon Lindelof is he's done. He's he's gone. He's no longer doing the movie. And I was like, no, 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 you're joking. You know, where's this coming from? Checked it out. It's Jeff Snyder. Like, and I was like, this, this, this is unreal. This can't be happening. And he is in bits on the phone. He he is loving. <laughs> this is wallowing in your plate. Yeah, he's like, I told you this would happen. I told you this would happen because again, he's disappointed that there's no, you know, he's disappointed about the exit, but he's, you know, but he was never confident this was going to happen. And I think this is a, a thing now with fans is we're not entirely confident any movie is going to happen. This movie is still happening. It's still on the cards. Happening. They have a new writer. We don't know who it is, yeah. but okay. this is still happening For now. And you know. We, it's just that there's always a problem with the movie side like recently Patty Jenkins and Faggy's movies were shelved mm-hmm. uh, Taika Waititi's been working on his movie for three years it doesn't seem to have a release date it doesn't seem to know when that's even though that was supposed to be the 2025 movie it's now changed um, no traction there obviously Benioff Benioff and Weiss departed like I don't think again that's Lucasfilm's fault they left to go and do a deal with Netflix um, Ryan Johnson's trilogy is in limbo but again he is a very busy guy. He has another Knives Out movie he needs to hand over to Netflix. He's been renewed for a second season of Pe- of uh, a poker face for Peacock. Um, so, yeah, he's a busy guy. But, you know, right. we're in this position now of... Ryan's in a weird spot well, where he, think? like, doesn't... He's, yeah. like, it's almost like he's, like, evolved beyond Star Wars where, like, he doesn't need that anymore. No, and I can't no. ever remember where... And the, I mean, there could be an instance. I can't remember an instance where a franchise puts somebody on the map and then gives them more to do. But that creative is kind of like, you know, actually, I'm I can do my own thing now. Um, so props to him, regardless of all the haters and whatnot. Um, he's doing just fine. So, um, but uh, in in regards to Pevy and him just you know piling on you and just letting you have it, <laughs> just, I just think it's a perfect example of how cynicism <laughs> will reign supreme. It is like a sad reality in this case where it's just like like the most predictable and unfortunate and annoying outcome um, that we could have. But I feel like any Star Wars fan who's like, oh, I'm surprised. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't think there's that many people I, out there who would be surprised. I, I was surprised because there's like everything we've heard was like everything. The thing we've heard more about this movie consistently since March of last year than any of the other projects that were ever announced, whether it's Rogue Squadron, Feige, or Waititi's. Like, we've heard about this for a solid year, like, building up to this. Celebration is in a couple of weeks where this was going to be un- unveiled. Like, I I believed this was happening. You know, like, everything they put out, like, when it comes to the trades, it's probably Lucas from telling the trades. You know, mm-hmm. especially when those articles were worded the way they were, they were worded. That's um, what annoys me most, but continue. Yeah, and it's like, they were taking their time, they were making sure they're getting everything right. He had a writer's room, he had consultancy brought in. They were expanding this world. 
this this universe of his movie and then what would lead to beyond um so I, that's why i was confident like even if lindelof isn't the the writer on you know the movies that followed i was confident that he would see this one mm-hmm. through um to, to, for the start of it um and like i said i'm very disappointed that he's not on it i now. just feel like you can you know, never like, count on them because like even like was it 2015 or yeah 2015 they were supposed to announce josh trank or whatever you know like mm-hmm. i think the week of celebration or whatever and that fell through um it's like disappointing for but again that's because of like personal things that he well, was doing very different you know. circumstances but kind of i guess similar end result um Lindelof, mm-hmm. obviously there's not any drama or anything going on there um but no. it's just like no and he, he he did have a quote over the week last week uh, when he left South by Southwest, most people at the time took it to mean that he confirmed his involvement mm. in the movie. Um, you know, when he was asked by Slash Film, he, I'm p- going to paraphrase it, but he was like, you know, um, basically, why do it if it's not going to be great? And, you know, uh, maybe I'm better at eating than cooking, mm. you know? Yeah, he was just saying, like, um, it's not right for him. He doesn't want to, doesn't want to force yeah. it. So that's what I wonder, like, you know, I think I think again this hasn't come out this isn't this isn't anything new this isn't thing I know anything it's just I think it was like he we know he handed in the script days later he and Justin Gibson departed and I just can't help but wonder if um you know they weren't happy with what he handed in they wanted to make x amount of changes which again they the well written their right to do you know and you know him and and justin didn't really want to compromise the vision they had for the movie and they were like okay like this let's just have an amical pardon of ways like like you can bring somebody else in now to like see this through like and again i hope whoever they bring in is a good writer apparently they already have somebody you know um because i think damon is a fantastic writer and i don't think there's any bad blood i don't think there's any like thing wrong and again this is the kind of normal in a process as well Mm -hmm. that um writer would like work on a like a draft for a year or so or longer leave the project somebody else comes in picks up where they left off and continues to write it um so it's not too bad of a thing i just hope the person they bring in to help write it and help shape this movie is good because this person now has 11 months to do this before shooting begins and they're not starting from ground zero either they're not starting from ground zero, but there is an obstacle coming. The writer strike. That seems inevitable. Hollywood are prepping for it. That should begin sometime from from May onwards. So the, and that could go on for months. The longest I think the longest writer strike I think, I think went on for about six months. So that person could be deeply affected, and the writing of the Star Wars movie could be deeply affected by that. You know? Um so that's a, a concern. And again, you know, you've watched movies go through rewrites and had like good results. Rogue One being the prime example. Start off with with Gary Whitta, went to Scott Z. Burns, ended up with Macquarie, then it went with Tony Gilroy, and it came out fine. It came out great. Um, on the flip side, yeah. On the flip side, you have J.J. Abrams coming in to do The Rise of Skywalker. J.J. came in, he had to deliver a movie uh, by 2020, uh, by 2019. He had to produce a script in a very limited amount of time hence why like when they were filming there was a lot of improv going on mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it shows <laughs> you know yeah he had a bare bone script which was filling in on the fly and 
again, whoever they bring in, I hope that they bring in a talented person, they have got a race against time. And again, like I said, they're probably not starting from scratch. I kind of expect Lindelof um, and Justin to get like maybe story credits or producers credits on this mm -hmm. movie based on the work they put in. Um, but I figure yeah. it'll end up like a situation with Tross or, or Rogue One or even um, I guess Solo is not like a, a great comparison, but where like those people all worked on it and then the, the initial driving creative force was still attached in the credits in some way. Um, I think mm -hmm. all this is like a totally normal process where you go through writers, writers, creatives, difference of visions, you know, let's part ways. I think it's better to do that now, like amicably than like later on. So you don't get like a solo situation. The only thing, the thing that just annoys me and I think is so stupid and would eliminate so much of this like drama. And now all this kind of like hoopla with within the fandom is that like if Lucasfilm didn't get all excited and all like out of their britches and just go start like like we've talked about how the i think this hollywood reporter story seems very much like from their side of things where they're like hey sequel characters might show up hey dave filoni where they kind of drop these like little hints to kind of mm -hmm. pat themselves in the back but also try to shield them from some blowback i just feel like if, if if this wasn't public like it wouldn't be a big deal if we found out after the movie came out you know, these people created it and then we switched off. It'd be like, oh, well, it turned out pretty good or, or you know, however it ends up being. Mm -hmm. The fact that this is all so yeah, publicized, it's what, what I find to be highly, like, kind of productive and detrimental to, like, people's yeah. attitudes towards the films. This is, like, a normal part of the business, but now it's just, like, the sky is falling because it happens again. But if you just kept it behind closed doors, you know, it wouldn't, I don't know, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. Yeah, again... Lucasfilm didn't formally announce this. They didn't like they did formally announce Feige and mm. Patty and Benioff and Weiss and Ryan and and Taika. Mm. They didn't formally announce this one. And but again, it's put through the trades. I know Jeff Snyder put it out first many months before the trades picked her up. But uh, they did put it out through the trades again. The way it was worded, it did seem like it was planted. You know, there was an informed story. And um, yeah, so again, I'm. I just hope they bring in a good writer because I remember Patty Jenkins was hyping up uh, the writer for Rogue Squadron. And she was like, "He deserves his own moment to shine, his own his own place." And it came out that it was Matthew Robinson who wrote Dora and the Lost City of Gold and Ricky Gervais's uh, The Invention of Lion. And it was like, okay, like you you got me excited and thinking this was going to be a top tier, high caliber writer. But again, that guy could maybe push something out which is great but looking at his past work it doesn't scream that whereas you look at somebody like damon um i got a lot of confidence in in, in him as a writer um you know the same thing with ryan because i loved ryan's past movies before he, he stepped off the last jedi um you know so it's it's somewhat disappointing but we'll see where this where this goes um, get, what's weird is damon yeah, what's weird as well, Damon, according to Jeff Snyder previously, had two lead actors attached to this project. Um, I don't know if they'll still be attached anymore since he's gone. Um, and, uh, you know, like months ago, it was reported by Snyder again that filming was expected to begin by this summer, so there seems to be a delay in production. Um, and that means schedules change for actors, so maybe these actors who were attached previously can no longer be attached just due to, like, other commitments they have, you know? Um, so I don't know, but Hopefully it works out. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'll be hopeful. Yeah. Negativity does no good. Celebration. 
I, I assume we'll probably find out the writer before celebration happens. I know they probably want to unveil the writer there, but we'll see. Hopefully. I do look um, at someone good. They do not have the best track record on like getting replacement writers besides Rogue One. Because mm -hmm. um, Tross was what it was. Um, <laughs> Kenobi yeah. had Joby Harold, which I know wasn't your favorite guy. Um, and then, oh, they also didn't they get Jack Thorne for one of the Tross drafts? They did, yeah, and he like left. Um, but yeah, so and this is again my only like people keep trying to go to Kathy, and I'm like, again, we've praised and criticized on this podcast before. You know, I think for the most part, she has done a good job. Um, you know, the amount of success she's found on TV and with the films. I know the films can be divisive, but she's brought in a lot of money for Disney, which is ultimately what they care about. And again, The Mandalorian is a flagship of the Disney Plus service. It launched with it. Um, probably a reason why that service is so successful. Um, and the Marvel uh, and Marvel and Star Wars shows has followed as, as maintained its success. Um, but yeah, uh, my only concern is. I go back to a tweet that Taika made before he signed on for Star Wars, which was like, he was asked if he'd ever do a Star Wars project. And he, again, I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically something along the lines of, no, because I'd actually want my work to get made. You and know? here we are. Um, and here we are. And again, my concern is, on that side is, as a filmmaker, do you want to go and do a Star Wars movie? Do you want to commit like X amount of years to your life for your project not to be released or, or whatever? Um, you know, I'm I'm just afraid they might alienate top talent. Um, yeah, hopefully it doesn't deter people. You know, because James Mangold kind of made yeah. comments not not to that regard, but I think about more like fan reaction. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, that would be worrisome just because you need good people to make good stuff. I would say you don't need the best actors in Star Wars, but you should have like a really talented director or writer on board. Mm -hmm. um, so going on from that, we're going into the review for the latest episode of the mandalorian uh, the mandalorian season three episode four the foundling directed by uh carl weathers everybody i have not i've not looked at a single reaction online i have no clue what the response is to this episode mm -hmm. is but i assume everybody's really excited and you know thinks it's a fantastic episode i don't know if you've seen any online reaction to it but i assume that's what's happening and I assume that's what's happening purely based on the five minutes or so we had of the Grogu <laughs> flashback. I, I peeped a little bit just on Reddit because I wanted to see... There were a lot of theories floating around about who's going to rescue Grogu and maybe someone from Ahsoka or whatever. Uh, so I just wanted to see what people thought about that. Um, so I looked a little bit and it was pretty on point with what you said. Um, but there was I didn't see much mm -hmm. discussion on anything else. So okay yeah so that's the thing so i think the the grogu segment is fantastic i really enjoyed it um i think it's without question the highlight of the episode as for the rest of the episode i thought it was a bang average mando episode and that's not the fault of, of the director or anything it's just it's not very the thing is when once you've placed the grogu stuff in the middle of this episode which is so exciting and so you know fulfilling as a fan and so much more interesting you then go back to, um, you know, the less interesting stuff. Oh, the Mandalorians are trying to chase a dinosaur, like you know, and they're rock climbing now, and you know, like they do seem a little incompetent it, in that regard because they're like, this happens all the time. It's like what? 
Why don't you do something <laughs> to prevent that? <laughs> yeah, so so that's the thing. Like, I just didn't find the rest of the episode as compelling or as interesting as what we had with Grogu. And, um, you know, that's the thing. I, th- and I don't think it's bad by any means. I don't think the, the, the episode itself is, outside of Grogu, is, is bad. I think it's simply fine, you know? Um, like, the way I would say is, like, if I was describing this episode of Mandalorian, outside of Grogu, it'd be like, it's okay, it's like a 6 out of 10. Mm-hmm. But the Grogu segment itself pushes it up a little bit. Like, you know, I'm, I think they might have been. I don't have a off, lot of like maybe pacing that out different because previous flashbacks, they've mm. like intercut that. For this, it was just one yeah. chunk pretty much. And I was, I was kind of surprised by that. Yes. Yeah. Breaks their little form. Like, I have no real care for the other Mandalorians outside of Din and, um, and Bo Katan. Mm. You know, Paz, he's always just been a hater. He's always hating on Din. Um, you know, I don't, the son, you know, he seemed to be, you know, definitely his father's son. And, um, I'm just glad they tucked his hair. Up yeah. So when he got, it looks a lot better. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't really care that the son was taken. We would introduce him briefly in the first episode of the season. And again, we'll reintroduce him here. I haven't really got a connection with the character. I don't have a connection with Paz Vizsla either. So for me, I'm like, I'm not really too bothered about this plot point. I understand why the Mandalorians care about it. I understand why Din cares about it. And ultimately, by the end of the episode, Paz has a respect for Din, you know, um, following you know, following the events and him rescuing his son. Um, but regardless, I don't think the rest of it is as, is as interesting. Again, it's, it's, it's a fairly short episode. It's like 30-something minutes. Um, I do think it's... Again, I think the episode itself is... I don't know if I could say the episode is paced well, because... The Grogu stuff happens pretty much in the middle of the episode, and it's so much more interesting than it takes away from... The way I look at it is, like, The Last Jedi, right? I really enjoy The Last mm. Jedi. But when we're on Canto Bite, or on the on the ship with Poe, I'm not as intrigued because I've seen far more interesting stuff happening around the story with Luke and Rey or Kylo Ren. I'm more compelled by their stories and... Uh, particularly with Kanto Bite, when we go back, I'm just like, oh, I'm itching to go and see what's happening. Even like to the point of when we're at Kanto Bite, I'm like, I want to, I, I want to go and see what Poe's up to because the the revolt there is even more interesting to me than so going from, you know, that's it's just this is that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't know if it's paced well, but I think the episode itself, if, if you remove the Grogu stuff, I think the episode itself is fine. It's just solid six out of ten. The Grogu thing elevates it. Are you thinking similarly to me? Um, I kind of agree more or less. Like I, I, I feel like you'd be hard pressed to find someone who has loved Mando as much as like I have throughout these three and a half seasons now. Um, this episode and this season kind of have been a little bit funky for me, just because I've enjoyed it a lot. But the show has felt very different, and um, I don't know if it's the writing or the execution, but it, it just has felt a little bit off from what it was. It doesn't feel as tight or as crisp or as sharp as it has before where like even this episode there are a couple moments where i just kind of felt like taken out of it for a brief second or just something felt a little awkward whether it was like the editing or the cuts or just the transitions um i remember season one like you you first see mandos doing stuff and it's like new so it's kind of different so you kind of adjust to it but even still sometimes i find like what they're doing just to look a little bit like awkward and funky and i get that there's actors and they're wearing big suits and it's like probably very difficult to move around but still it just kind of breaks my immersion for a little bit um i'm i know you're like very big on 
each episode kind of contributing to the overall story and that wasn't really the point you made here but for me like I'll, I'll enjoy like the one-off episodes if it's like a fun little little adventure um and so that's kind of how i viewed this one like the, it moved the story in certain regards but like aside from the grogu stuff it was just kind of like a fun little mando adventure and i thought it was fun enjoyable i didn't think there was anything wrong with it it wasn't the most gripping or exciting episode i'd ever seen um but i i enjoyed it overall for the most part i think i don't know i almost feel like this season is still like trying to like i don't feel like it has like its identity yet or we they have like it's it doesn't feel like it has a foundation or a, a, like a, a strong base which is weird because it's the third season of a show with beloved characters that we're all really familiar with and it feels like at one hand there's a lot happening on the other hand it's still setting up a lot um where before it felt like like season one like everything felt really tight really crisp um and i don't know if that's a byproduct of you know feloni favreau being spread more thin i don't know if that's just result of this show carrying a heavier burden where now we're, we're clearly like world building and setting up things and establishing the universe of this time period as opposed to just focusing on the mandalorian and grogu so i know that's a bit of an adjustment um again i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with the episode i thought it was fun i enjoyed it but i just felt like i felt like the season overall i guess i'm more ranting about this season but it's just a departure from what we've had and so for me as an audience member, I, I, I don't know if I'm on board with that as much. Not because I dislike it, but because I loved what it was before so much. Or now it, it, it's just very different. And I'm, maybe I'm still ra- wrestling or grasping with that new identity of what the show is. Um, but I think Mando and Grogu still have really great chemistry. Grogu still shines really strong. I really like the armorer. Um, she's always been one of my favorite favorite mandos and, and i've i've liked Bo more and more because season two i thought she just was a total jerk and as time has gone on I've, I've come around to her more and enjoy her kind of spiritual arc that she's on um so this episode like you said is, is pretty short pretty brief um the, the the cameo was cool i was excited to see um <laughs> uh ahmed best jedi from the, the the jedi temple challenges show i think it was um is his name like Kalaram Beck yeah, like, or something like that his name? or something like that. So I was surprised to yeah. see that. I thought it was cool. It was cool to see, you know, like Naboo popping in and helping out and all that stuff. Um, I think the episode would have been could have been stronger if it spliced or intercut those those flashbacks, kind of what they did in season one with Din. Um, but that obviously I, th- I thought stood out really well. And it's always cool to see like Clone Wars or Episode three stuff live action again it's fun to to give actors who, who went through kind of a hard time this this fun little live action redemption um i i, I think like on a kind of emotional level you appreciate or root for them in that regard um so the episode is positive i think myself personally i'm still trying to like wrestle with this season and adjust to the new status quo and i love just where the, the show is basically plot a of mando and grogu and we're following their adventure and now it's Mandu Grogu plus the Mandos plus the Galaxy plus the Empire plus the New Republic, and I enjoy all that. But I think I'm I'm missing that core focus on the main two. And I think as time goes on, I'll kind of come around to it. Um, I think it is setting things up that'll that'll pay off really well. Just in the meantime, I feel like I'm kind of in like a weird limbo with this season where I haven't really felt that with with prior prior seasons. So. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed this season. The first episode to me was just like classic Mando. It was just like a, 
at the time I said like I felt like coming home like Andor has been my favorite Mandalor uh, favorite Star Wars series but the Mandalorian is now a staple of Star Wars and it's like you've heard me do this silly thing before when I compare Star Wars to McDonald's and I say <laughs> the Mandalorian is the fry like everybody enjoys yeah. the fry everybody can eat the fry you know what you're getting it's consistent it's not amazing it's definitely not bad you know what you're getting you know um and uh that's again that's what most of this season has been i really enjoyed the second episode of the mandalorian i actually i actually love bo katan this season um she's been my favorite character so far i also enjoyed the third episode for what it is again i thought a lot of performances in there wasn't particularly great and the writing was again people kept calling it andor esque and i was like it wishes it was andor this is not the andor. Of, but it, um, it was trying but it, it wasn't reaching <laughs> you know and like this episode if it wasn't for the the grogu sequence i would have said this is the worst out of the mm. four and again that doesn't mean it's bad i would have given it a six like that means it's okay mm. decent to me um but yeah like I've, i'm fine with the season um I've been saying this on various podcasts. I think I've said it on this podcast. I've said it a lot, a lot of places. You know, a lot of things blur into one for me. Um, but this feels like the end of a first phase, mm. if you will. You know, the the initial reports with this was going to when Jason reported way back in like 2018, 19, whatever it was, that it was going to be about the restoration of Mandalore. That seems to conclude this season. Knowing about Ahsoka. I think Ahsoka is going to kick off a hypothetical second phase and that'll go over the course of various seasons, series. Uh, so Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, probably Mando 4. Um, I'd introduce a new enemy, a new threat to the galaxy, a new plot element, a main one. And um, that's where I see this season going. But um, talking about, we've talked about everything in the episode outside of the thing we've said is probably the best thing about this episode in the Grogu flashback sequence. Um, you know, if something doesn't ever look quite right about the Jedi Temple in these in these hey, shows. Thank you. I agree. Like, I agree. <laughs> like it looks sort of like weirdly cheap. Like and in the robes. Like, always, it's always that. Just kind of funky. It's always that one hallway. It seems, and um, <laughs> but like yeah. So then you know. But then, you know, I thought the scenes were well well done. The Jedi trying to protect Grogu, you know. Um, when that door opened, I did not know what to expect. Like, I was like, who's going to be behind it? Is this going to be, is it going to be Anakin? Like, not to help him, but as a threat and somebody like, comes. Yeah, it comes to help or something. And when it was Ahmed Best, it was like, you know, because everybody theorizes like, oh, it's one of the Jedi we already know, like, you know, well from like the movies. Mm. So maybe it could be... Like, even, like, you know, there's always been a theory that Mace Windu would have survived, you know, his encounter with Palpatine. Um, you know, a part of me obviously has a little bit of a wish that, yeah, like, I'd like to see Mace Windu in it. Um, but I can't tell you how I felt about seeing Ahmed best. Like, I got a little emotional seeing him. Not because I, you know, love him that much or something. It's just knowing what he's gone through since the Phantom Menace and the way he was treated by the press and the media and fans specifically. And, you know, he's he's been very open in talking about how he considered taking his own life at some point. And to see him be the savior of Grogu, 
the thing that the Mandalorian has has birthed and has created a phenomenon, and he's so integral into Grogu's story now. And he's gets to be a light, you know, he gets to be a lightsaber, he gets to be a hero, you know, he gets to he gets a real epic moment to shine, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, speeding around the, the you know Coruscant with Grogu and mowing down stormtroopers. You know, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great moment for Ahmed Best, and I'm very happy for him as an actor. And, you know, I'm sure some people who aren't as entrenched in Star Wars as we are, like, probably don't get that or don't appreciate that. Maybe they they feel let down. They wanted it to be a well-known general character. But as a Star Wars fan, as somebody, you know, who's obviously followed his story throughout the years, I think it's great. It gave me an emotional payoff I didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. You know, um, seeing, like I said, seeing Mace or Jedi, we know, would have, of course, been exciting. But I'm satisfied in a different way with it being Ahmed Best to be the one to help save Grogu. And again, anytime we see Coruscant, it's always the feels, it's always the vibes of, of the prequels, which obviously you and I grew up on, given our age. And, you know, the thing we have a lot of love and appreciation for. And um, obviously we're getting a lot of Coruscant uh, stuff at the moment, whether it be in you know this the andor bad batch jedi survivor um you know it's great and again i think the scenes were all shot really well so credit to carl weathers um i thought the scenes of coruscant were shot well um and again credit to ahmed best i think he did a great job in in, yeah. in what he did and this segment is the highlight of the I episode i was really happy he didn't die i thought maybe he was gonna like they're gonna get him as the they're getting to the the new boost shuttle or they're getting on but it almost like broke the immersion in like a really like a really nice way where you have that emotional payoff because of all the real world stuff you know of um and maybe you you know like a new like a newer fan or someone not as into it they're curious and they go find out more and they they learn about him or um kind of how he ended up in that role and whatnot and and maybe they it just kind of brings them into it more um but you just can't can't help but be happy for him like everything he's gone through um and then you know getting that that kind of game show he had um and then you know coming around to to being such a a crucial linchpin now in this this new uh you know era timeline of star wars i think is just it's just really cool and as a fan you can't just help but be satisfied and and happy for that and you know with all the negativity you just all the goodness and, and hopefulness and kind of the positivity from there just just, you just embrace that and it makes you happy and you wish the best for them and that no one else has to like kind of go through that in the future um i was surprised that it was him i didn't expect that at all just because everything the theories whatever were pointing to like this babylon person from ahsoka i didn't really want it to be that because I, I thought that would be i don't know i just thought that would complicate it too much um i thought maybe obviously it could be obi-wan just because ewan's been involved or even Anakin, like you said, but it was like a really pleasant surprise and it gave him his moment to shine. And, um, you know, it is obviously it's not going to be the same quality as like a movie production, but I think for what it was, it looked really great. The, the, the CGI and the, the graphics looked awesome. Um, I wish that like his speeder would have like jostled a little more. That was like one thing that bugged me. But that's so mm-hmm. nitpicky. It's like, who even cares? Um, I did like that they yeah. made Grogu look like way younger. Like he was noticeably. A different age so i kind of thought that was fun um mm-hmm. just a good little like detail they threw in but that that was just exciting to see and it just brings back the nostalgia and coruscant's coming back and i i know during the sequel trilogy everyone was like really hopeful to see kind of some prequel era or original trilogy era planets and it's cool to kind of revisit that in a new light just because 
You see it like at a, in a brief glimpse in episode six at the end when they're celebrating. And as like a big prequel fan, I, I always wanted to see more and, and kind of get more of that world. So it's, it's fun to see that, uh, you know, now here in, in Mando. So overall, it's just I think that like really emotionally carries through the episode and, and, and makes you feel so good about it, which isn't a bad thing. I don't, I don't think the episode should get knocked for that. Um, so it was just really satisfying and enjoying to see that. So. Yeah, if um, you know, if I was gonna give this ra- uh, episode a rating, I'd be around a seven. I think I'd give this a seven out of ten. What I would, would you give, give it, it the exact same. I was thinking seven. Good, but not great. Yeah. So. Yeah, and again, I, it would have been okay if it wasn't for the Grogu sequence. Um, but yeah, so that does it for this week. Um, thank you, Tyler, for coming on and uh, helping me out with this episode. And thank you for seeing Shazam. I know you didn't really want to see it, but you know. I'm glad you had a decent time watching it. Um, I don't know what's happening next week. I assume next year, next week. Um, Pevy and I, we spoke yesterday, as I mentioned. Pevy's gonna has got episodes planned. He's coming back for. Um, you know, this might not be a thing that everybody is interested in. So uh, we're working on how to do it. But Pevy and I are big fans of the HBO series Succession. It's on its final season, so we may want to talk about that a little bit in future episodes um we might splice it in after the rest of the news the rest of the pop culture news so um it'll be after the mandalorian reviews and whatnot we'll we'll find we'll find a way to do it um you know and uh yeah so we'll we'll sort all that out um we always had tyler penciled in to come back for shazam don't know when tyler's coming back i assume we'll be sometime soon we'll figure out a movie or, or a topic might, might arise in the coming weeks that, you know, Tyler really wants to talk about and, you know, uh, we'll bring him on for that. So we'll work it out. And uh, yeah, so that does it for this week. And uh, do you want to say your goodbyes, Tyler? Real talking to the best Spoonians once again. We'll catch you guys soon. Appreciate you letting me join on. Yeah, and, uh, you know, catch you next week. In the words of Michael Scott, catch you in the flippy. Thank you.